Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, pals, it's me, Ben Blacker, your pal. Happy birthday, America, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, there are a couple more Nerdist Writers panels coming at you in the next few weeks. We have uh, this very special episode I did with my friend Mark Flanagan today. I hope you'll check out the book that we talk about called I, Marty. Um, we've got another year in review, uh, part two, coming next week. Uh, and uh, then I think possibly even one or two more before the end of the year. We're just cramming them in. You may have heard the announcement at the end of last week's year in review, part one that starting next year we will be known as The Writer's Panel. Uh, but the reason I'm talking to you today is to urge you to check out ATX Festival and their pitch competition. I know many of you are writers, and uh, the winners from the past few years have all been Nerdist Writer's Panel listeners. So that could be you. You're listening to it right now, which means you could be a winner of the pitch competition. Um, First of all, go to atxfestival.com. It's the best television, possibly the only television festival around. Uh, it's in June in Austin, and it's just the most fun. Um, and while you're there, click on programming, and then click on the pitch competition if you have an idea for a TV show. Um, it's super easy to do. You just make a 90-second pitch video. 90 seconds. That's awesome. Most pitches are like at least a half hour. Uh, so you make that video and you upload it. Just follow the directions. You're not stupid. You downloaded this podcast, so you know how to do it. Uh, but I would urge you all to check it out. Um, I will definitely be there. And um, the the folks who have won in the past have all found success in this business. You know, the just winning the competition, sometimes just being in the competition has given them a leg up. Um, submissions end January 15th. So get your... Submission in by January 15th. All the rules are at atxfestival.com slash programming slash pitch. While you're there, poke around and see who's going to be on this year's, at this year's festival. They've got amazing panelists lined up. Everyone from uh, Betsy Beers, who uh, works with Shonda Rhimes, Hart Hansen. There's going to be an Everybody Loves Raymond situation. Uh, So many awesome people. They say Norman Lear will be there. I believe them. Uh, so check it out, atxfestival.com. Uh, enter the pitch pop uh, competition. Check out the panelists. And come to Austin in June. I will. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It isn't, it's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? There's a new book out. It's out in England right now. It comes out in America in February, but you can order it on Amazon. I got mine on Amazon. It took a couple weeks to get to me, so order it now. It's called I, Marty. It is the newly discovered autobiography of a comic genius, Marty Feldman. Um, Marty died some years ago. And I have with me today the kind of the, the driving force behind getting this book out. Is that accurate? True. Uh, Mark Flanagan, thank you for being here. Thank you, Ben. Uh, if you know Flanny's name, and you probably do if you listen to this podcast or Pete Holmes or any number of other podcasts. I've only done two, for God's sake. But for anyone who is on the comedy scene or yes. the music scene in Los Angeles, uh, you are also the man behind Largo, which at this point is an institution. It is 20 years next year. Uh, I'm a, institutionalized. A scene maker. Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for being here. We want to talk about this book. Yes. Um, and I think the first thing to talk about is why you are here. Yes. Because <laughs> you are, like, you brought this book to the people because of your relationship with Loretta, Marty's right. widow. Yes, who was a big Largo kind of, um, she was one of our biggest supporters from the beginning. And I met her the second day I opened Largo. She walked in uh, to see a show and she was with uh, two very gay men. 
and I, I just, and she was dressed like a crazy Arabian, like she had a headband, and I was like, who the hell is this nut job? And then I kind of made fun of her, and she said, Feldman. And I said, I, yes. <laughs> and she goes, I should be on some sort of a list, I'm sure. And I said, I'm sure you are. And I said, it's a pity you're not Marty Feldman, because he would just be able to walk in. And then she goes, I'm his widow. And well, I had, why did you pull it was only Feldman, Marty Feldman? I knew. It was the only, I didn't, I could have said Corey. That's I could have so said funny. just as easy as, right, exactly. you know. And she, and she kind of looked at me like, and, and, uh, and so then afterwards she came up and, and I said, hey, listen, I, I'm really sorry. I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to make fun. And it was 10 days, it was 10 years to the day Marty died. It was December. What was she doing and she just at wanted, the club? She, she was at home and two of her gay friends said, there's a show at this new place. We gotta go. We'll see if we can get in. And That's you say hilarious. that you're you say that you're Loretta Feldman. You'll get us in. <laughs> and so they showed up, and it, and so I met her ten years after Marty died, and we became very good friends. She died five years ago, and I took care of her while she was ill. She had uh, cancer mm-hmm. and and stuff, but we were really great friends. And she. Marty died tragically in Mexico in 1982. Very young. Very young, I mean, 48. This is all, there's this great introduction, uh, this forward by Eric Idle. Right. Who kind of talks about what Marty meant to him as a friend. Right. And then also about the circumstances of his death. Right. And the thing that, that Eric didn't talk about, which is fascinating for everyone like that is a Monty Python fan, is Eric did his first ever TV show on at last the 1948 show, and it was Marty oh, who yeah. said... Get that guy on. So it was John Cleese, Graham Chapman, mm-hmm. all before Python. And Eric was on the movie Yellowbeard when Marty died. Right. And what he didn't talk about, he told me afterwards, which was I thought was fascinating, Marty stuck around an extra couple of days in case they needed any pickup shots. So he was done. Yeah. His wife flew home to get things ready for Christmas because he died on December 3rd, 2nd. And Eric went on to Australia to book a tour for Marty and Eric to do a show, a variety yeah. show. And got the news in Sydney oh. that Marty had died and he thought it was a joke because the set of Yellowbeard was apparently non-stop maniacs, you know. <laughs> Cheech and Chong, David Bowie, <laughs> Harry Nilsson, like insane. that, party people, you know. And so anyway, that was... And so anyway, Loretta, you know, over the years, I, I asked her for a photograph for the menu cover of Largo for Marty mm. and That's I was right. very kind of like, you know, I loved her and it was very... Um, our relationship was like, I would let her talk about things but I wouldn't pry and then after a few years she would just like... The more I got to know Marty, I saw his TV show as a kid, and then I didn't see Young Frankenstein until I was in my 30s. But Well, that, that's the thing yeah. I want to talk about, and I apologize, I'll interrupt mm-hmm. you a bunch of times because I want to sort of dig in on yeah. some of the stuff. But, you know, growing up in America, I think we know Marty from the Mel Brooks movies, yes. pretty much. Like, right. that's primarily where we know mm-hmm. his face, which and that face, dear God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he makes great hay of it in yeah. the book, which is great really Great face fun. for radio. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was much more prevalent in England, I mean, right. as a writer and as a comedian and as an actor. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you talk about Eric Idle booking the store. They had known each other for 40 years, yeah, 30 years at, at, at that, that point, point. Yeah, well, less because he was, it, it's harder for us to think that he was so young, but he was 48 when he died. Oh, that's right. And, um, and, but I was going to say that Loretta knew that, like, so towards the end, Marty had a movie that came out. And it didn't do terribly well, and then he went back to writing. And so he was writing this book yeah. up until he went away. And she knew that he was writing because he had come into the kitchen and go, oh, what the hell was that guy's name, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but also Marty was very modest. So the reason we don't know much beyond <clears throat> the Mel Brooks thing here is because he never really went out and promoted himself. Hmm. You know, he went on The Tonight Show, and Johnny Carson said to him, there's talk about an Oscar nomination for Young Frankenstein. He goes, that's lovely, dear. I'm just here because I want people to know that I need work. <laughs> and he did that on The Tonight yeah, Show. And his agent really. backstage was horrified. That's absolutely the Marty that comes through. Yeah, it does, yeah. And like you said, I mean, you have in, in your introduction that right. there's no... There's no messing with it. It's right. exactly it's, as he wrote. Yeah, the, the English Times called it an unghosted memorist, which is, <laughs> you know, very... You know, I love John Cleese's book and I love other people's mm-hmm. book, but you can detect... There was help made, and of this course. is just this. There was a choice made that I just said, if it's going to come out, it has. I had to go to a publisher that would not touch any of the words mm-hmm. and just have it as is, and, and that's this, what it is. It's such a pure presentation of yeah, him. It's almost I like mean, I'm talking like to you. Know you. Yeah, that's a good. That's what. That's what I hoped, and I also hope that that people would go back and check, which we'll talk about his earlier works mm-hmm. and stuff. And and this is. One of those things that, like, you'll know the eyes. The, the eyes will draw you in, and then maybe even Young Frankenstein. And then you go back and watch his TV shows, his mm-hmm. writing and stuff. So that's amazing. But anyway, his wife knew he was writing, and she said to me, look, you know, his book's up. There's, there's books up there. But not alone was this book in a box. There's 15 scripts that are unbelievable. No 
Um, and so he really was writing like, full on. Those, those last I have his typewriter with the MF initials on it and stuff, and cigarette burns all over it. But he was <laughs> nonstop, and people. Like she said, he wrote day and night. He would wake up in the middle of the night, have an idea, and then he would never go back to bed. Huh? Just coffee, cigarettes, and reading. You know, writing. So, but so anyway, she. But the reason that she didn't, she. So the the reason the book happened was, she said, look, his autobiography is up there, and he was working on it. And she goes, I saw it, and I didn't read it because I don't want to know anything I didn't want to know. And and then, which is the tragic thing for me because it's the half of the book the second half is a love story oh, to her it's you know a, it's an enormous love life. i know I mean, and so she never got spends, to- <laughs> we should say it like there's great stuff about growing up and all that right. but when you get to 60s london and working for bbc and all right. this stuff right uh he's having these wild times yeah. and then loretta comes in and he becomes this grounded yeah, totally. guy. He was a maniac. It's really funny. Yeah, and he he described in a son interview. Like he found that, an anchor. Yeah, he, that's exactly what he said in an interview for um, I think it was Penthouse or one of these things. Before he died, he said that he lived life and then he was born when he met Loretta. That's, so, that's lovely. Yeah. So, but um, and you know she was a driving force too. She produced a couple of uh, his stuff and she was very instrumental in getting the Pythons together as well. It was her. Mm-hmm that reached out to Terry Gilliam to come from America to do Marty's TV yeah. show before Python. That's really neat. So he had a show called the, the Comedy Machine, the Marty Feldman Comedy Machine, and Terry Gilliam did all the opening sequences. Mm-hmm. And then that was in the works. So this other show that Marty, his first ever TV show was called At Last, the 1948 Show, which was John Cleese, uh, Graham Chapman, Tim Brooke Taylor, and Marty. And it was Marty's first thing and he was a huge writer and they were like you should do it yeah and david frost said which is in the book yeah which i his, love this bit he it's his eyes are too grotesque for the public and then they tested the pilot and it was like through the roof Marty's they wanted the star. more of him yeah more of him exactly and he was just a bit player but but that show um terry gilliam did the you know the oh. graphics for it and, yeah. and it's all available you can see it on youtube and for years which is this is really funny i was going to tell you that for years um they were missing the pilot episode and the last episode hmm. so they did two seasons and when i found the book i found <laughs> film of the t- so i give it to john cleese and that's now good. they're going to release the whole series oh, that's but good. they were missing the pilot and it was in marty's ga- roof uh, so attic for, for 40 years of course it was <laughs> among other things <laughs> what, um what was your i mean I think for a lot of young people here, we couldn't pull the name. Right. You know, when we hear Feldman, yes. like you say, it's, we don't go to right. Marty Feldman. Well, and then the thing is that anyone, so I'm 50, anyone um, my age or definitely older than me, Marty, there was two channels. When you grew up in the British Isles, because I was Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. there were two channels on mm-hmm. TV. And one of them was BBC One. And then years later, there was BBC Two and ITV. So ITV right. was the competition. And Marty had two TV shows called, just called It's Marty. And they were the biggest thing. And it was before Python. Mm-hmm. It was were six, they sketch shows? Sketch shows. And uh, the writers were Graham Chapman, you know, all the guys from Python. Yeah. And, but primarily Marty was the writer with his writing partner, Barry Took, who he mm-hmm. did Round the Horn with. And um, this thing was after the 1948 show and became an overnight sensation. And, like, everybody just went, oh, okay, huh. so that's a Beatles kind of thing. Because he yeah. couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And um, and they would show it, and, and then people would just, like, in streets would quote some of the lines from the sketches. And so it was one of those things that, like... And, again, there was only just a little bit of radio. Radio was dominant then, but, like, very little TV. So those things made a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And then for Christmas time and for years afterwards, they would sh- rerun the series. <laughs> And so as a kid growing up, I, that's the only Marty that I knew. Mm-hmm. But there was also horribly bad fucking TV over there, like Benny Hill, which is funny <laughs> right. for you. But as a kid over there, I was like, come on, are you yeah. fucking kidding? And so his thing came through with this intelligent writing and like making fun of the Church of England and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So it was a very, he had a great sense of anarchy about it. So anyone that had a different mind would be like, almost like the nerds, the nerdist thing that like, you know, people have a, a view on it. And it's like there was a collective and, and the it collective, really is, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of, if, if you like Python, yeah. it's the tone of that stuff, and, and honestly, but people, it's filtered through right. Marty. And people don't know, I mean, people love Python and stuff, but they don't know the connection at all. And then he mm-hmm. never, he never toted it. No, he loved those guys. And mm-hmm. Eric in the book, and even Terry Jones recently said that uh, when they came to do the Hollywood Bowl and all these shows, Marty would have parties for them, mm-hmm. would introduce them to anyone that he knew to try and help them get their careers yeah. further on and stuff. So he was very supportive, but never really touted that he was instrumental he, in their, uh, he, gen, you know. Uh, he downplays everything, yeah. which I think is... Which is lovely, I, I mean, think. It's, it's, again, it's so his character, right. it's so his personality yeah. that comes through in this. But yeah. he says, 
like you say, people yelling out lines or saying his name right. in the street, and he says, it happened once or twice. Right. It had to have happened all the she's, time, because he's unmistakable. Loretta said they would go to the airport, and it would be... The the, the, yeah. the flight attendants would do it. The people at the, the you know at the duty free store store, and and then also Marty was like very shy, but people would just approach him in a way that like is similar to like Jack Black or some of the comedians that are more physical here mm-hmm. that they felt like they could touch him. Whereas John right. Cleese would be so tall that people would be right. like, okay, well, well, very hello, intellectual, right? yes, and even as goofy as he would get, but yeah. people would be standoffish from him, and he was standoffish. But Marty was just like hugging everybody, and huh. and after a while, that wore itself out. I think you know. Well, there is. I mean, even in the movies that we all know, right. some of the later stuff, he, there's such a warmth. Yeah, there. That's the fascinating thing because so as I said, I didn't see Young Frankenstein until you know when I first moved here, and and it was kind of. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is great. This is black and white and all that stuff. And I didn't really know much about Mel Brooks, but reading Marty's account of the movie and the fact that, like, the first scene he ever did, he was knocking on the door as Igor and an actual earthquake struck in L.A. Oh, my God. And everyone was running for cover. And he thought it was part of the right. whole thing. And then he also thought, no, 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 they're, they're winding up the new guy. So I know what this is. And shit was falling around him, and he's knocking and knocking, and people are like, and finally Mel is like, we shouted cut 20 minutes ago, Marty! And, you know, so all that stuff in the book is like, I think is fantastic. And then also, when he later was doing his own movie about God and, uh, and the evangelical movie, it was called mm-hmm. God We Trust, John Lennon and him had a conversation, and he said that John Lennon was just quoting his TV show to him. And he said That's he would drive hilarious. Yoko Ono crazy. Well, right. It's right. like you say, I mean, everybody grew up on yeah, it because yeah. there wasn't that much stuff right, there and wasn't. it really broke through. And there certainly wasn't any quality, not in, there, were, there were quality, but there wasn't that much quality stuff. So anything that had that bite to it, like, you know, or the left of center thing, people really gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. And it was the late 60s. Right. So. Right. Anything a little subversive, anything different. Yeah. 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 yeah something daring. That's and Marty, you know, it. also, it's not in the book, but or maybe, yeah, it is actually in the book. I haven't read it in a while. <laughs> um, I, I finished putting it together about three years ago. But there was a huge trial in England, which about a censorship thing for Oz magazine, which was like a very political lefty, lefty paper. And Marty went to court and testified on their behalf out of the blue. And they were like, what? Interesting. And because of him, they changed the censorship laws in England. So there's all this stuff, like, you know, that I didn't... I had no idea. I had no idea that he had... I was wondering why he had such a big gay following, and I thought, that has to be Loretta, because she just... Mm-hmm. You know. And it wasn't. It was because this show, uh, Round the Horn, that he did, which was the longest-running uh, radio show, and it was a mm-hmm. weekly up thing. They had two gay gar- characters that Marty wrote called Julian and Sandy, and that became um, just a total gathering place for gay people to come see it live at the Paris Theatre in London and, mm-hmm. and stuff so and that just okay. through his career followed him everybody sure. followed him you know so sure. uh, let's talk about that Round the Horn which he makes it's sort of the first the first big hallmark right in the book of him finding success right well, in the early days, he was doing the, the music hall circuit mm-hmm. and trying to make his way. And Which was, is so it's foreign to us. I know. It's so interesting. Oh, my God. Like going off with a couple who do some sort of weird <laughs> variety act, and then they end up trying to molest him, and that's all yeah. in there. I mean, Over a period of weeks. <laughs> weeks. It's, they take him with him. And he oh tells his God. mom, I'm off. I've made it. I'm yeah. going to meet this couple that we're going to do shows, and then first night they're in a tent or something, and oh, it's just horrible. First Back the wife, the then the husband. Yeah. Go after him. And it's then, insane. And then, so, but the funny thing is, then he got, when he finally got writing and confident and, and stuff, well, he, he was a published poet at the age of 15 and met Dylan Thomas. Which and is he crazy. had, yeah, Dylan Thomas introduced him to an editor and they published him. And then Marty, somebody, Loretta told me years later that somebody, when he was a kid, said something like they're pretentious or whatever, and he completely backed off. But he had a deal wow. to write poems. And he was like, I think I need to be funny. That's hmm. my angle. And so when he started writing, he was writing for radio shows. And they were like, you know, the ventriloquist show, um, the army game, and all these t- radio mm-hmm. shows. And he became extremely busy. And then Round the Horn hit. And he thought it was just another another radio show. And then they were doing it live. And so That's Ma- really Marty would sit right. in the front row of this yeah. theater and they would read his words and people would be dying laughing. Yeah. And it was his first exposure to the live thing. And then it's the reason that he did round the horn further than it was because he wanted to see that live thing and watch these professionals like Kenneth Williams and see their timing and everything else mm-hmm. and after that 
which I didn't know again in the book, is Marty would do tours of doing mm-hmm. his sketches, doing monologues, doing anything. And he would just, there was no downtime. He would just be like, I'll write on the road yeah. and then I'll come back and direct something. And so he was always busy and writing and stuff. And so. And clearly loved it. Like, loved obviously it. loved the work, loved being part of it, right. loved the whole process. Which and then is also. Really a great the, lesson, I think. Yeah, it is a great lesson. The other thing that I found was. He didn't just write scripts that I found in the attic. It was like synopsises or here's an idea for a TV show. Hmm. And in 19, I found one that is from 1971 that he wrote. And it's pretty much Mork and Mindy. Where Marty plays a a guy that escapes from a mad scientist's lab. And he turns out that he's an alien. And the scientists had figured out how to get him as a sperm from outer space. And then he's adapted into a normal household and they're right. all lefties and like hey man we take you in and and the script is fantastic That's it's absolutely great. fantastic so that'll see the light of day too maybe through his i set up this uh, website called imarty.com and we're mm-hmm. putting up all his films all his the tv D-Y-E. shows E-Y-E, Marty.com. <laughs> but we're putting up stuff for free with no ads. And, yeah, so and, you had a bunch of videos out, yeah, which is and, great. And both and his movies. Full movies. Yeah, yeah, full yeah. movies, and until somebody asks us to take them down. But, <laughs> sure. but a lot of stuff is on YouTube anyway, and I just thought, you know, they're his, and people should see them. Yeah. All I have is what's in there, yeah? That belongs to me. Um, the thing to do is to keep people out of it. Well, unless you invite them in. As, I'm inviting you in. Fine. But that's, as a guest, you can come into my head. Uh, but my head is private, it belongs to me. I must fight to keep control of what's in there and not let other people get inside it and march all over it, you know? Um, so that's the reason, really. Um, that I write for me, it isn't serious. You know, you write because you think it's funny, you know, and it isn't a business, you know. Business is something else. You know, business is something your agent organizes afterwards. You started out as a writer. I am still a writer. Um, I want to trade to fall back on when my looks go. I think that's... But I'm also going to put all his writings, all his scripts. And so for people that are real nerds, um, <laughs> that if you like the book, there'll be a lot more stuff. But these scripts are fascinating. I think that would be... I mean, I want to give you this some of them because it's just, even I as a writer, it's like, those. holy God, look at this guy, you know? I think that, I mean, looking at that stuff from someone who's creating it with no outlet in mind, right? right? No studio, right. no nothing, no deadline. Right. He's just creating it to create. Yeah, and then he I would look at other really stuff on TV. Time. His big thing that um, his wife told me was that he would look at stuff on TV and go, this is a great idea but so badly executed. Hmm. And then would go, if I was to do that. And then so he would write a oh, thing on an already so existing on one of them. One of them was Barney Miller. He and wrote a Barney no, no, Miller no, no. that he, didn't... Yeah, it, exactly. But the funniest thing was... Years like for later, himself. For himself. And then so oh in 1975, God. after Young Frankenstein, he was at, I think he was doing Silent Movie, and he met this writer called Theodore Flicker, who became Ted Flicker, who wrote Barney Miller. <laughs> and he heard, I heard that you said that we could have, and he goes, you know that it, after I wrote the first pilot thing, it was bastardized and every executive had to have their say. And he goes, no, 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 I understand that, darling. And so then the <laughs> two of them, in a two-week period, wrote a full script that was never seen. It's called The Adventures of El Boco. And it's a beautiful script. That's it's a f- amazing. Yeah. And so, and then he would do that. He would he set himself exercises of who do I really want to work with? Who do mm-hmm. I like? And then he would just, so that's a lesson to people here. It's like, I mean, obviously he had the platform of fame and, and especially young Frankenstein. But you see that even in the earlier chapters yeah. of him saying, I think this guy is great. I love what he does. And the other big his writing partner, right? Put him on the big, show. Yes, exactly. Like he would, and that he would drag people in like that. And he, a very like, for example, his, Andy Kaufman had never done a movie, and Marty wrote In God We Trust and cast him as the evangelical leader, but more risky, Richard Pryor is God. Oh, wow. And so I in this know, movie, Richard that. Pryor plays it's, You can see it on imarty.com, mm-hmm. the whole movie, and it's beautifully shot, but both his movies, Universal, were very insecure because they were like tackling issues and they had it recut without him of and course. he was so upset about that. But, sure. But, you know, but the, these, these fascinating things of him, like... But the other one is like the early years. I find the early years of his book, like for anyone that's into writing or performing, is so inspiring because once he had the idea of writing gags and jokes, he saw Mm -hmm. this legendary um, performer called Danny Kaye at the Palladium. And he was 11 and he went, that's exactly what I need to be in. Whatever this guy's doing, Mm -hmm. that's what I need to do. And then years later, after he became a poet and decided I need a funny thing, he would line up outside the backstage door of the Palladium and try and give them jokes. Any performer, yes, right. any performer coming or going. <laughs> and then finally they were like, yeah, we'll use this. Right. And so 
this weirdo with an eye would just be standing <laughs> out there with like, you know, and they were like, oh, take it from him, just get rid of him. And so, but he, knowing that he was so modest and polite, he would just stand there and mm-hmm. almost wait for them to go, what do you want? Yes. And so Loretta said that was the ironic thing was everyone that was really pushy, people would push them out of the side. But with right. Marty, it was either the eye or his kind of calm, <laughs> kind of like, I think I should be here, mm-hmm. got him into it. But again, it's a lesson that he never stopped writing. And a lot of that stuff was discarded, and, and he just moved forward, just kept moving forward. Like Miles Davis, it was just like, yeah, yeah. I know I'm not listening he back. He talks about I'm just, Miles Davis yeah. a lot. He talks and that about was, Danny Kaye. And jazz was a huge thing for yeah. him. But he loved the idea of live jazz because it was people riffing and really listening to mm-hmm. each other, and that's what Round the Horn was. Round the Horn oh, would be five performers in front of two microphones, much like the Great Thrilling Adventure are, sure. where they would sit, with, with, no, but it was two guys writing. It's very when his <laughs> widow true. when his widow came to see Thrilling Adventure, and I I thought I introduced you to him to her, but she she was just like, oh, this is unbelievable because the line was out the door, and it was like this is just <laughs> that vibe, and and but anyway, it was you know it was that, and he would throw things, and then if Kenneth Williams said, I think I would say this, he goes, mm-hmm. yes, you will, you say that, right. Um, where at the time there was a very unionized thing at the BBC, and you were like, if the writer writes, right. you say. But he, and Marty he was the one of those guys that was just like, yep, we're riffing, let's yeah. do it, you know. So that, that comes across, too. That's really cool. Um, I want to talk just about some of the sort of technical things of, yeah. like, finding this book, and then how, what do you do next? Because okay, you want to so put it out in th- the world. That's funny. So Loretta had said to me, with any uh, of his writings, if you find them interesting, and listen, by the way, I had no game plan to be in the Marty mm-hmm. Feldman business, <laughs> even though I knew that she was leaving everything to me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't financially a lot. It was a house that she was in debt to and, and stuff, mm-hmm. but beautiful house and everything else. But I never thought too much about his writings and stuff. And it was six months after she died before they were renovating the house and, you know, that I found the boxes mm-hmm. and stuff and I read it. And so when I read this, I was sitting on, uh, I think I said it in the introduction, but I just grabbed a pot of tea, sat outside in the garden while they, these construction guys were banging and banging. <laughs> And I read this thing, and I think it's 180 pages. I have the original thing with, and the original thing was in a box, and it said "I Marty E Y E" with the small e <laughs> at the front. And I was like, I did, it didn't even occur to me this would be an autobiography. So I thought it was a script. And then I looked at these notes that were like, insert photo of Loretta here, insert photo of Spike Milligan yeah. here, um, and it was beautifully typed. And it was second draft, and then I found a first draft. So anyway, I read it. And it really moved me. I was like, God, this is amazing. Well, that's and interesting. I didn't realize there were multiple drafts. At that yeah, point. well, he even said at the beginning, it was this is the second draft or the, hopefully the final. And he was, right. it was a work in progress. Clearly. Even though he wraps it up in such a weird way that you feel like he finished it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but. I mean, it's, not, it, not it doesn't feel like notes. Right. It feels like a complete yeah. thing, and it feels like. And you know, it's somewhere between right. But there are also things that I noticed after I read it, which is kind of interesting. And then having known friends that do interviews and have kind of become f- famous, there are things in this that he has said to interviewers verbatim. Mm-hmm. Sure, oh, of course. My eyes are my comic equipment. Mm-hmm. I'm the right job for a comedian, not for a seven four seven pilot <laughs> and stuff. And he would say this. So, so those things end up in the book. But so obviously he had that. Mm-hmm. He'd done so many damn interviews. I mean, I have sure. boxes of his mother sent over to Loretta after he died scrapbooks and but she kept every oh, article and he became like paparazzi in the 70s in England <laughs> and so all this stuff like about her getting a DUI and it was in the papers it was a daily oh. thing in the Daily Mail it's really fantastic and um, but also the thing that so I read it and I just it was really profound I thought I'm going to put this together with the photographs and mm-hmm. see what it looks like and then um, I I had known Eric Idle for a while and I said hey Eric would you be interested in reading this and he goes he, he was our mentor He this mm. guy literally was our mentor okay. and I'd love to read it and he read it like so far, like me, read it in one go, called me very emotional. And Eric was about to turn 70, and Marty was a little bit older than him. But, like, he, that moment of, like, he died at 48, what the yeah. hell would he be doing now? Yeah. You know, and we were both talking about the Peter Jackson name-checked him, saying that he would have been the star of Lord of the Rings. Like, huh. if there was, because they said, who are people that are not around that you would have, and he mentioned Marty. Oh, and, and I can actually see that. And on, on Google Images, people have put his eyes on... <laughs> On the different God. characters and stuff, but but so what I think that was, Eric was like this this don't put this on the internet. This has to be a book. Mm. It's beautiful. So then I put the cover together, put the whole thing, and then I went to a bunch of different. I went to a, an agent that like set up different things, and I went to yeah. different people. And some people offered a lot of money and really wanted to do it, but they really wanted to tighten it, as they mm-hmm. said. And I said, no, there's no tightening. <laughs> so finally, um, this and why, why for you was that important? Because I figured if it's going to go out, there was also, after I read it, uh, f- quite weirdly, about four months later, there was another book came out about Marty, and it was a biography. Mm-hmm. And it was very strange because 
it had so many things wrong in it, including his date of birth. So I, really? Yeah, I put the, his birth certificate in there. But <laughs> it was one of those things that I thought that it, this is Marty. So why, if he's not around to edit it, who the hell else could edit it? And the only other person I thought could edit it or do a job was, was his writing partner, Barry. Took, mm-hmm. But again... Was Barry still around? He wasn't around. So oh, I just okay. thought, well... And so then I met this great publisher... Um, from Hodder and Stockton, and or by phone and by mm-hmm. through the agent, uh, called Mark Booth, and he was like, "Darling," I, he, and he's the same age, roughly as Marty, oh, and so knew so everything. Yeah. Grown up with him, yeah, and actually lost trace of him going to America. Like it was just round the horn, this TV right. show, the Forty Eight show, and he totally got it and said, "No, it has to go out without any apology." Hmm. He says, "You can mention that in your forward. You do mention that it's untouched. That's yeah. enough." Absolutely. And so that's what people have responded to in Britain. It's just like the reviews are amazing, but it's all like we feel, like you said, we feel like he's talking to us, yeah. that it was just unfiltered. And um, and it's great because I think that in a way I've worked with a lot of performers that will play me a song and I'll go, wow. And then they'll go into the studio mm-hmm. and come back with this thing that is like, where'd your song go? Mm-hmm. And so maybe if Marty had been around and, you know, got back to it, his perspective would have changed or he would have been less optimistic. Who knows? Yeah, there's something very pure about uh, this. Yeah, and the ending is very, in a weird way, very sad but very optimistic about his grounding in life and mm. stuff. And so I thought that should go out unfiltered and so they did. And so in the American version is the same thing, just a few different photos. But um, it was the nurturing of that publisher in particular that was, that, that he was just fantastic. And then Fiona... And Ruby, the girls that work in that thing, were just like, let's try and get every photograph, the rights to mm-hmm. it. And they have a different system in England where they don't have due diligence. So some of these photographs are 70 years old. And if you can't find the person that took the photograph, they're not going to publish it. Right. Because somebody will come out of the woodwork and get after them. Mm-hmm. So they did everything they could to do that. So with America, we've, we've rectified that with the other photographs. But some of these photos are incredible. And, and you know, there wild. are literally 15,000 Google images of Marty Feldman. And <laughs> none of the photographs in this book have been seen. <laughs> That's incredible. They're all from his private collection. Sure. And he had them. And from his mother, which is... Well, no, but the, the mother came after he died. That's right. amazing. So the ones that... So in the box, it said, I'm Marty on this cardboard box. And then there was the script. <clears throat> and it was 180 pages. And then underneath that, neatly, were the photographs that he wanted oh, to go in fantastic. there. So I was like, this is so easy. So how it happened, too, was I sent my family on a trip to Seattle. They wanted to do a road trip. And I went to, to Hawaii. And took two boxes with me, <laughs> and went. Okay, this is before I put the. This is when I put the book together mm-hmm. before Eric Idle, and I was sitting on the balcony of my hotel, and I had it all lined up, <laughs> and I ordered room service. And this is amazing. This <laughs> is really hilarious. fantastic. Sitting there, had it all lined up. The photographs one side. Okay, this and his little, uh, what do you call those little post-its? You know, mm-hmm. saying photo of Loretta, and the doorbell rings, or you know, and it's the room service. And I opened the door, and sixty-two pages flew off the balcony. <laughs> And by the way, there's Holy no at, at nine o'clock at night in Hawaii. It was dark. There was no numbers in these pages. He, he the book oh. starts with begin, and it ends. He doesn't. There's no pages. And so, I went down to the concierge, and we spent two hours in the gardens, and the, by the, one went into the swimming pool, and I ended up missing oh six, lost six God. pages. And three days later, room service found the other six pages in the balcony of a room that wasn't occupied. <laughs> it had gone down yeah. the building. And I was, I, I couldn't, but the thing That's without those six pages, one of them was him talking about um, a very important young Frankenstein thing. And I, could, I couldn't have put the book out without these six pages. Yeah. I can't write this shit. <laughs> so, so this weird thing, of I sat in an attic for 30 years. I take it to Hawaii, and it tries to fly away. You nearly so, destroy it. You nearly destroy it. So, so, the, so they became, That's you know, this hilarious. kind of almost... Another one was, like, I, I brought it back, and I was working um, on it. And my son, who was two at the time, came running over to give me a hug, and my cup of tea spilled all over six pages. Or, or, or 60 pages. Another, like, right. a third of the book. Jeez. And I was frantically drying it. My wife was, dry, you know, it was like so. So it, it, it is definitely like Marty himself with his physicality. It, yeah, it's, right. it's uh, endured the, <laughs> the the forces of of whatever, you know. Uh, but I love. I mean, you get this image knowing that he had specific photos he wanted in specific places. Right. You get this image of him putting this together. Yeah. Uh, so vividly, right? That like bringing forward these memories and finding the photo, and I love the running to Loretta and saying, "What was the, what guy? was the guy's name?" And, and you know, the funny thing, I, I was there was one thing I was going to do was I did do, sorry, which mm-hmm. was there was a few times like every time he says I like I did this or his I, mm-hmm. it was the same spelling, small e, big y, big e, the whole way through the book. 
And every time we tried to transfer, I, I worked with this uh, Link Defer, Lincoln Defer, who mm-hmm. is a graphic person who did, who put, helped put the whole thing together. When we would transfer it, it would always correct that. Every single time. And we were like, shit, every page there's 10 eyes, you know. But it was also a thing that, it was a good lesson in kind of maintaining the integrity of it. But there was a couple of misspellings mm-hmm. and stuff. Sure. There was also a temptation to put in brackets to say who the hell he was talking mm-hmm. about. And then the publisher was like, I yeah. Googled names. I love that Let it's people not Google there. names. I don't know it half these fuckers. It you in yeah. the And world. the Barney Miller guy, by the way, I had to go and... Google him to see if he even was real. Funny. There's a character in the book that Marty talks about, which is a fantastic passage where he goes to Belfast and he's doing the. He has a, a trio called Marty, Mitch, and mm-hmm. Morris, Mitch and Marty, or something, yeah. whatever it is. And uh, they were a traveling variety show that did the horrible music hall circuit. Mm-hmm. And people would throw things at them and they would fill time and, and stuff. But they went to Belfast and they got some sort of a small money gig. And they were hired by this... He, he seemed like a Tony Soprano kind of mug guy, kind of guy. And they t- he told them to wait for them, and he was collecting money off somebody. And the, the person he was collecting money didn't have the money. And so this guy threw this character out a window and killed him yeah. next to Marty, standing there. And they were waiting to be paid. And it was a profound thing, but it was like... He, des- he describes it so matter-of-factly that it's mm-hmm. not funny. And I Googled to see if that guy was... I thought, this has to be... Right. He, did he make this up? And the guy totally existed. He was a horse guy in, in Belfast. Oh and, God. you know, and so with the power of Google, I was able to go, okay, who the hell is he talking right. about here? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... Especially in those early chapters. Yeah. It's just name after name. But I think that's a beautiful... The world. Yeah, it's almost like a Pollock thing or something. Like, everything he it's threw in the wall, you just go for the whole thing. Yeah. If you don't know the names, you go with it, but... Yeah, you either... Yeah, like, they'll either come back and be explained right. or not. And right. it's just... I mean, that's how he was living in the yeah. world. Which is, and then really his Gene, cool. meeting Gene Wilder and his interaction with Mel and Gene. Mm-hmm. The other great thing is like Mel gave a quote in the book, or not? It, it, Marty said that when he first met mm-hmm. Mel, he was dealing with Gene Wilder, and it was Gene Wilder's That's agent that Gene had written this idea. And there was two stories, and Gene said that he wanted to do something with Frankenstein. He was kind of like I, I, the Bride of Frankenstein, the other Frankenstein, the other Frankenstein. He didn't feel he wanted one with a better ending, a happier hmm. ending, almost like Marty doing. Like That's I could funny. rewrite this. And then his agent called him, and he had called his agent the week before and said, I saw this guy on TV last night, and it was Marty. And um, he said, it was a crazy eye, and I just, I can't get him out of my head. And his show was fantastic, and it was the, the comedy machine, which this TV was his first American TV show before Young Frankenstein. It was uh, directed by Larry Gelbart from MASH and written with him by Barry Levinson. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just getting to that part. And so, yeah, and so um, Randy Newman did his first ever TV appearance yeah, on it, and people crazy. that, it's phenomenal, and it's pretty much, and so all of that's coming out on DVD in March, but it's also oh, on cool. YouTube. And But it's this fascinating thing of, like, the advice that Mel gave him when he first met Mel, and Mel was, he agreed to direct the picture, and he had never directed anything he hadn't written, mm-hmm. so it was a big deal. And Mel says, Marty, I know you're a big star from where you came. I want to give you a little bit of advice just about Hollywood. There's a lot of assholes in Hollywood. There's a bunch of good people. Only work with the good people. <laughs> and so until Marty died, he did... Uh, the first movie was Young Frankenstein. The second one was Silent Movie, mm-hmm. which was all his heroes. Sid Caesar, yeah. you know, Zero Mostel, all these guys. And, you know, the third one he did was um, the, the uh, Sherlock Holmes' uh, Smarter Brother with Gene Wilder mm-hmm. written and directed. Mm-hmm. And then he did and I his... I think you, got, you have that on the website, yeah. right? Because you can't find that movie. I no, that's why I put it up. Well, you know, on eBay, a lot of these things that, by the way, don't buy anything of Marty on eBay because I'm putting everything up. You want a <laughs> yeah. photograph? Copy the photograph. <laughs> Um, but they're charging like $90 for a yeah. VHS of Sherlock Holmes. And so I put the full print that Marty That's had great. up there. Um, but it, you know, until he died, like Richard Pryor, all the people mm-hmm. he wanted to work with, he was like, if I'm going to do this project, he played, he had this very famous English, he tried to get Robert Redford to do it. He talks in the book about um, the last remake of Bo Jest playing his twin. And they both dyed their hair peroxide blonde. Robert Redford <laughs> couldn't do it because he was doing, you know, oh, Jeremiah fantastic. Johnson or something right. for two years. So he ended up getting this big American or English actor called Michael York, who's very mm-hmm. proper and was like a big kind of heartthrob. And they played twins. But Peter Usnoff is in it. Anne Margaret's in it. Like it's all the, you know, Henry Gibson's in it. Like all the people he loved. Yeah. And that's what he did. He only worked with the people that he mm. wanted to work with. Which is, again, a great lesson. I mean, it's taken me 10 years in this right. business to learn that. And also, it's when you think about universe, people. some of these studios, like he wanted Louise Lasser to play to play mm-hmm. his love interest in God We Trust. And they were like, you know, you should go with Terry Gar. She's proven for 
from mm. Young Frankenstein, and he loved Terry, like a, sure. you know. And but he just went, no, that's who I wrote it for. Right. And she said yes. Yeah. So it can happen. Oh, you know, I, it's less so now. But I mean, I think that Larry David and Woody Allen and different people have, have kind yeah. of always picked up on that thing and just gone like, hey, if it doesn't work, we're not doing it. One of the most important things in my life is music. I worked briefly as a jazz musician in my little teens. I used to hang about in Archer Street on Monday afternoons looking for work. I was a trumpet player. According to one well-known critic, the worst in the world. Yeah. The other thing I kind of wanted to talk about with this, and this is a little bit more about you, mm. I apologize, mm. but you have... It feels like you are the right guy to have shepherded this book. Because I'm a bully? Because you're a bully. <laughs> no, you have a unique relationship and perspective on artists. Right. Yeah, um, you're right. Where do you think that comes from for you? Um, I think it, I, it's hard to know. I, th- I think that, you know, when I was a kid in Belfast, we moved around a bit. And then, I mean, in Ireland, we moved from Belfast to like, And I met a lot of different people, but I would see people who could play guitar and sing and I mean and really good looking people they had the whole package and they would just be like no nah, I don't want to go to England or America I'm just happy to do you know I'd rather be hmm. a nurse or or whatever they were you know whatever job civil servant job and and use the performance as a love thing so I feel that I'm, I'm able to see that people who are you know don't push the people who are not commercial but like there's a room for everybody mm-hmm. you know and um there are definitely people who played at Largo over the years that like like John Bryan four people never came to see John Bryan before he played Largo and yeah. he's the first to say this and he was very reticent to book but I just saw his talent playing with somebody else and I was like it's the classic Kevin Costner build and they will come <laughs> and, uh, and and so when John would start to play that was that gave us all of us a lot of confidence because people who never had a draw we would cross-pollinate shows at Largo, so Amy Mann, right. who was well-known, who John was producing, I said to her, why don't you come and do, do a couple songs? And people love playing with John because he knows every mm-hmm. instrument, and he can, or every, you know. And so I think that's part of it, but also part of it that I know, I sense how hard it is to, to go on stage as a performer. You know, mm. you and I can walk out there and for 20 seconds go, hey, right. this is the show and it's great and blah, blah, blah. And we look into a void and don't focus on anybody. Yeah. These people are getting up and talking about divorce, mm-hmm. about abortions, mm-hmm. about the most personal things in life. And so any way that we can get them on there, it, it, you know, and yeah. I just love performers. I really do. Like, mm-hmm. I just I love writers and performers because I kind of feel like through thick and thin, those are the people that are going to keep us floating, you know, mm-hmm. with their observations and whatever. And as a kid, I saw this mm-hmm. comedian called Billy Connolly, who's a legend. Sure. And in Belfast, things were fucking grim. And this guy was the only person, Van Morrison, who was from there, wouldn't play there. Hmm. People would play, and there was immediately a bomb scare, and they would cancel. Billy Connolly was fucking defiant, and he would come and do multiple nights and stand up there and make fun of everything. (laughs) And so through that, I was like... That there's some I, I never thought that because I was I went on to do like studies psychology and all sorts of shit, but I didn't think that I was going to do this. It was just one of those things that this popped up and I went, "Yep, that's hmm. that's." So next year it'll be twenty years of me doing Largo. Two thousand, yeah. And um, and I feel that one of the things is just kind of like I know my my place. I, I can kind of get people up and then I disappear. Like mm-hmm. you don't see me backstage a lot at certain. No, shows, you know, definitely um, not. But for the right people, I'm back there. Uh-huh. You know, for Jenny Slade, who has chronic di- diarrhea before a show, <laughs> which Gene Wilder had too. He would oh, literally, Lord, yeah. So I would, I'd be there with extra tissues, is what I do. <laughs> or, or for Zach, who would just, or Zach and Sarah Silverman, Zach Galifianakis mm-hmm. and Sarah Silverman, literally knowing they have a show for months, walk in the back door and go, I have nothing, right? And I go, of course you do. And then we'd sit down, and then they were scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And of course, they have something, but they're just, you know. And that's the great thing about Largo is I've kind of cultivated this thing of we're trusting you because you're funny, and you have something, and we're going to get it out of you, you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. So it's not a set list. You come on. People yeah. have done set list stuff, but they come on and they go. I've got a couple of ideas and try it out. Yeah, you and know? it feels like that's that's always been the way. Yeah, which is really interesting because early on. It could have become just another comedy club, right, right. or another well, music. Club. No, absolutely, it could have come another Where you music play club. Your set. It was. I done. talked about this before, but it, with the um, the music <sighs> thing, I tried to do something different because it was too. The old Argo was only hundred and it only held one hundred and twenty people, so it couldn't compete with some of the bigger venues. Yeah. So my unique thing was tiny was, stage. You to- totally tiny, and also very minimalistic in terms of PA system, but it didn't need much because it was a small room. Right. But in, I couldn't compete with any of the other things. So what I would say to artists is. 
don't do the hits. Mm-hmm. Do try new songs. Try songs that never made a record. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. And that became a thing. Like I couldn't believe it because mm-hmm. I didn't think that's not what happened. And so people like Michael Penn, great songwriters, Elliot Smith, yeah. all these people thought that they had to play the record. And when Elliot would come in and go, I love the Kinks, I'm just mm. going to do that. Or I love Big Star, I'm going to do six Big Star songs. It really freed them up. And then when they did do their own songs, there was a different approach because it was less pressure. Right. And so that's, even though it's moved into a bigger venue, that has kind of... That's still there, yeah. for sure. It's, it's a and also I learned a lot, you know, getting back to, the, <clears throat> to Loretta, but I learned a lot from her because she was the same with a lot of these talents. You know, mm-hmm. she also, like, there was a stage show of Round the Horn, there was different things that she, you know, curated and, and kind of worked with forcefully, and she was not to be fucked with. Like, mm-hmm. she preserved everything about Marty. But she, I learned a lot from her in a sense of, like, she would throw parties and have people over, and she would just have the right gatherings of people, like, mm-hmm. you know, and and just letting people talk and just idea and then you know at a dinner party people would you and I should do a show Mm -hmm. and so if it was Greg Proops or Paul F. Tompkins or John Bryan or Paul Thomas Anderson or Matt all these people that knew her that would go regularly to her house for dinner there was that thing of like seeds have been sown sure and so He'll take care of it. Just, yeah. just go. You These know. sort of unusual or unexpected combinations. Yeah. But where we all have something in common. Yeah. And so last night we did this show with this singer who's been performing at Largo for many years called Nika Costa, who mm-hmm. is fantastic. And she wanted a trick. She's always a funky, like, she's really, like, a great entertainer. But she wanted to put on a gown and come and sing fantastic. with strings. Uh-huh. And she was quite nervous about it. And it was... Within the first song, everyone in the room was standing clapping. Like, uh-huh. it was just... And it was very emotional. It's stunning. And I was very happy about it. Now she wants to do it on a regular basis. But things like that, she'd never done it before. This is the place that mm-hmm. you can do that show. Mm-hmm. You can Anything that you haven't done before, you can do it. Yeah, you know, so. yeah there's every, any night of the week. There's yeah. something really interesting going on. It is funny because you and I have known each other for so long. And you know, there's, there's shows that you will come to or you that you... And then there's this whole other life of shows yeah. that all those people come to. <laughs> but, like, the thrilling adventure... There are many Largos. Yeah, but the Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> thrilling adventure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Silverman, those are the shows that have kind of grounded, the, the, that have paid sure. the rent. Yeah. But also and, uh, created a community. And have been there since before you moved. Right. Cornette but have, but have, you know, but, like, have, have made a community from the old yeah. place. They're still around and, and stuff. But there's all these shows that come and go. And a great bunch of people who yeah. don't know us really and yeah. it's just fascinating really to watch fun. that and go oh yeah it's a, it's a theater before we wrap up is there stuff uh, coming up at Largo next year that you want to talk about uh, we're wrapping up the, all the Christmas yes. stuff um, there, stuff I you're just, excited about yeah I'm really excited about some of the shows that we have s- still going but like um, Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch do an improv thing that is just oh, so I hear it's unbelievable crazy good <laughs> And then also another one that is, a, I think it's a podcast, I hope it is, but it was, but it's a live show from that has been in the East Coast for so long. Jenny Slate and Max Silvestri and Le- uh, Gabe Lieb- Liebman um, mm-hmm. do Big Terrific, and mm-hmm. it's coming in January. It's sold out really fast, but they're going to do a, a regular thing, oh. too. Um, so in, in that sense, and then it's just like the regular shows that, you know. Is Improvised Shakespeare coming back? Yeah, they're doing, uh, I think it's the first Monday of every month. So January and February are sold out, but there's tickets for March 7th, great. I think. Okay, good. Um, but things like that, I think, are very, they're, it's so great. I wasn't always a fan of, because there's, like everything else, there's a lot more bad improv than there is good <laughs> improv. But in the hands of people you trust, it's yeah. fantastic. Oh, absolutely. You, know? so, you get middle ditch. Yeah. You get sh- I mean, and Paul of Tompkins shows Spontaneation. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I don't know if I said that right. Um, <laughs> you actually But did. again, it was one of those things where he came to me, and he's one of my favorite stand-ups ever. Yeah. And I keep waiting for him to go, I want to do that. And then he comes to me with this. And I was like, <laughs> so I sat with him and I was like, okay, well, we did Varietopia and I love that. It was a full-on variety yeah. show, but it was so much work for him. Um, when he came to me this, I was like, okay, because it's you, we're going to do improv. And it has become fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. love the fans are all coming out. And it's always yeah. a fun show. Yeah, and also he's cross-pollinated beautifully with Thrilling Adventure, oh, which is such a staple of, of our lives. But he's using those people, yeah. and they're so fucking talented. We had so many great improvisers yeah. who were stuck saying our stupid words. Yeah. So now they actually but get to be But in 2016, I want at least two or three Beyond Beliefs. Oh, boy. Yeah, so no, we've got to get no pressure. That. All right. The book is I, Marty, E-Y-E. And it's coming out in America on Rare Bird yes. uh, Literature. And, uh, and you can get it through Amazon. I think you said you can pre-order it now. Yeah, and, and a friend of mine <coughs> just ordered it on Amazon.uk and got it within a week. Well, and you, so. like I said, I got this copy from regular Amazon US. And oh, you did? It must have come from England, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you Excellent. can you can get it now. It's a great... And it's only $20 or something, For I think, comedy you know? fans, yeah. it is 
it's it's a great book for people who are fans of television of writing it's a great book which is why i wanted right. to have you on to talk about it because it is such a a pure look at a time that uh, so many of us don't know about right. but that was so recent yeah and and you know um i asked uh, eddie izzard because he's a big marty fan mm-hmm. for a quote and he now this is just a non-nerd in me but like <laughs> he gave the quote like did i send you the quote that he no. said so he said that if um I'm, you can read this after I'll give it. You can put it on the, the Eddie Ezzard's quote. Pretty much, if Monty Python are the um, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, he names the five. I don't even know who these people are. Yes. That Marty Fe- Marty Feldman is their Obi Wan Kenobi. That's great. And so that's beautiful. That is, listen, this audience will get it. That's what I know. They will get it, and we'll print it up on your site. If that's you want. really lovely. Um, but but also, I wanted to say that the other kind of driving force for doing it was all proceeds of the book right. go to um, this charity called the Littlest Tumor Foundation. And um, because the book is cheap, if people kind of look up this, it's kids with tumors and they're not getting funded by the government for research. So there's a big driving force to get this money out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving all the money that's made from this um, to that. And it's that's a good great. cause. So, that's yeah. really great. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I have several people I'm going to give this I'm to Marty? for Christmas. Oh, uh, you. Uh, com. We had a great run. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great Christmas gift. I actually ordered, this is the funniest thing, they, this is after they told me that it's going to be a bestseller in Britain or whatever, I ordered a whole bunch online just because I was like, I actually just want this in the house. So anyone comes over and go, you live in right. Marty Feldman's house, by the way, which I do. You live in Marty Feldman's house. Oh yeah, you want to hear about it? Here's the book. I think that's great. You know? That, that is absolutely like I'm getting copies. I think... Because uh, I know people would love them and they wouldn't necessarily find it themselves. Right. I, and, but there are also people like Paul F. Tompkins knew Loretta for many, many mm-hmm. years. So there's people that I've given it to because I only got like the first rush of copies and stuff. Um... But I think that some, like George Saunders, the great writer, mm-hmm. read it and was blown away by it, uh, even as a writer. And, he, and yeah. so he's putting a blurb, and it'll be on the back of the American cop- copy. But it was such an honor for me because Loretta's intent for his writing was put it on the Internet and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And and then it was kind of this publisher in England and Eric Idle going, no, 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 this is <laughs> this is a book. So well, it's it great. It seems like everything kind of came together yeah. for it to work. Too. Yeah. Anyway, so take uh, risks, everybody. Get out there and do it and <laughs> fucking take a risk. <laughs> You heard it here first. And don't Merry go to Christmas. Hawaii with your risks unless you're secure. What is wrong with you? So people with the wind. <laughs> Thank you. Um, The big thing on this show for me has been meeting my favorite Muppet. Oh, thank you. Cookie Monster. Uh, I don't know what there is about him, but this. this Well, whatever it is, we've never had anyone make such an impression on our entire cast. To have an effect on that audience, that's the most enjoyable thing, I think. To convey a real emotion, to communicate something, um, some more than information, to be able to move an audience in some way, uh, either to laughter or to proverbially to tears. There are days when you feel you've done it, when you've done a good scene. You know it. Nerdist.com